Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 6, Episode 10. So we just had a special episode last week with Harry Mack. It's uh, been making, making some rounds that our show usually doesn't uh, make. Uh, we've been gratified for that. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, but we're thrilled today to get back to the normal show uh, and have two uh, really good executives from the space. And we're thrilled to talk to them. And, um, you know, Phil, I'm going to start with you. Um, if you don't mind, tell us who you are and uh, tell, us, uh, tell us who you're with. Sure. Um, my name is Phil Hall. Um, I'm with a company called LXT. Uh, we are a relatively new player in this space, but we're very focused on AI data in particular. And we support top 10 technology clients and, and a whole lot of other clients as well. So my, my background is that I was with a company called Appen for 17 years um, in the similar space. I joined the company as a subject matter expert. Uh, I was teaching linguistics before I um, started working in the uh, speech data space in particular. Um, and so my interest in this space is definitely um, oriented towards speech and language and uh, the, yeah, that fits in with my background. But my role at LXT is in sales and marketing um, and that's pretty exciting working with um, working with the best players in this space. Yeah. We're excited to have you be part of the show. Yeah. And uh, LXT, um, you, you got a cool business. Thanks for making the time. That's great. Thanks, Bradley. You got it. Lauren, same thing for you. Take a moment, introduce yourself and uh, tell us about Baritone. Sure. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me too. I'm excited about this conversation with yourself and Phil. Um, a bit about Veritone, we're actually um, an enterprise AI solutions and software provider. So we have built the first, we like to call operating system for AI. We call that AIware. Um, what it does is it makes um, engines like, you know, Phil, you mentioned kind of the top technology leaders in the space like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, all of these amazing point solutions providers available to our customers through the AIware platform. So um, we have over 300 engines in addition to those key players that provide, um, you know, a solution for like a very specific use case. But, you know, what we find is that most customers have a problem, they come to us and they need a combination of engines to solve their problem. So versus having to go to all of these point solutions providers directly, like you have to engage with Microsoft, then you have to engage with Amazon, then you know, you're going to Google for some sort of tie off piece. Um, we can be that gap and that stop gap for all of those engines so that you can come to Veritone, you can say, I have this data, I need it to be transformed in this manner. Um, you know, through AI where we can build you a, a specific custom cognitive workflow that then kicks off all right, great, you have audio, let's transcribe that, let's translate that, and then let's regenerate that audio in new languages for you. So um, it's a really powerful system. We're really excited about all the engine providers we have participating in that system, but we're just trying to make kind of cognitive workflows easier for customers to leverage and build through our capabilities so that you don't have to go to a point solution 
we can figure out how all those engines work together for you and build you a custom workflow. Um, so on that piece of it, I'm our, our senior director of project management for Veritone Voice, which is our newest engine that we just built and released in May of 2021. That one is really exciting because um, it's a synthetic voice engine and the fact that it can take audio, it can take speech, it can transform your audio into new languages, it can transform your text into audio. Um, so, you know, I'll be speaking primarily about the Veritone voice engine, but it is just a series of engines in the AIware suite. So uh, more on the technology provider side, very interested in the data side, because um, that's what we use to fill point to kind of um, guide all of these recommendations on workflows and solutions and what engines are needed at what point. Um, but really excited to kind of dive into these voice use cases and applications and, um, you know, what you're doing on the podcast side with voice travel. Thanks for being part of the show. Yeah, and uh, thrilled to have both of y'all, uh, both both companies uh, in the house for uh, Project Voice 2022, which will be coming up late April. The show is filling up. We're going to include the link uh, in the notes, um, and we've got an announcement. We've got an announcement tonight uh, with uh, that'll be emailed out Monday uh, with another lineup announcement. There'll probably be some more to come. It's going to be a good event. But glad to have both of y'all be part of that. Glad to have both of y'all here now. Appreciate the intros. With that, let's get to the news and story number one. And I'm going to read this. I had to close the uh, the link because it wouldn't stop playing auto playing a video on yeah. my browser. Uh, you got to look at that. Um, voice cloning technology may have been used in Peerland scam. This is from KHOU in Houston. And uh, I will attempt to open this article and hope it won't start auto playing this thing again. Um, because I want to read this subhead. The scam goes beyond a call that claims they're holding a loved one for ransom. It may use voice cloning technology to mimic a loved one's voice asking for help. I've seen some stuff like this. This is just sort of an interesting, uh, more recent example. And um, Lauren, I'm going to start with you and then Phil, I'll go to you on this. Um, this is... Um, uh, this is alarming. Uh, this is... Um, uh, this is kind of the dark side uh, in many ways of the technology that that all of us spend time working on. Uh, share with share with me in the audience, you know, just uh, your your reaction, your thoughts uh, as you look at what's going on here. Yeah, no problem. I mean, it's really a shame that this technology can be used in kind of these like nefarious and malicious kinds of use cases because. Uh, Veritone, we are taking the stance that, you know, synthetic voice technology improves accessibility and, you know, allows content to be created in new languages. And we're kind of positioning it as a way to open up um, the, the conversation in the space instead of, you know, making people so afraid of it, like these kind of scammers are doing. Um, and there's really, the interesting part is everything is so new um, with synthetic voice and with deep fakes and with all the technology coming out, but there's really no legislation in place yet from, you know, higher governances like the FCC on, you know, where this can be used and what are the guidelines and what are the protocols in place. And so obviously these scammers are getting ahead of all of those uh, kind of crackdowns and things like that. Um, you know, I would say from a voice, a 
a synthetic voice provider standpoint, um, where we're trying to make a point of difference is that we won't create a voice um, without the express consent of that voice owner. Um, so, you know, you come, you come to us, you say, hey, I, I want a synthetic voice for my show. I think it would be great to release my show in a new language. We could create your voice, Bradley, in Spanish. You could really release your show in Spanish, you know, moving forward. But we would never create your synthetic voice without you being aware of that technology. You have to provide a written consent agreement that states you're aware of this. You have to also provide training data files to us to build your synthetic voice with, along with a vocal authorization clip that we can match back to. This is Bradley actually authorizing us to build this technology. This is the training data we provided. We use your authorization as kind of like a fingerprint um, to make sure the training data provided actually matches the authorization statement you've given. And only then will we move forward um, with creating that voice. So we get a lot of questions, you know, when we're dealing with customers like, oh, can you do George Clooney? That would be so awesome. And the scary part is the technology is out there, yes, to do George Clooney. Um, I think on the technology provider side, it's really up to them to enforce like who is asking for this voice. Do they have permission from this voice owner to create the voice? What is the use case for the voice? Where will the voice live and be deployed? Um, and so, you know, at Veritone, we're really trying to be the, the gold standard of voice creation. And, you know, with that consent process um, baked in every project we take on, um, it's really important that the technology providers aren't just out there accepting projects or work without knowing kind of the intent behind it. Um, and then on the consumer side, so, you know, technology providers need to be very specific about the projects they take on and, you know, they should be liable if a voice gets created without the consent of that person knowing about it. Additionally, on the consumer side, I think we also need to be super mindful about where we're putting our voice because, you know, there's TikToks, there's social media, there's clips, you know, I'm creating and putting out there that can be scraped down and used nefariously that maybe I'm not always mindful of. But I think it goes to show the power of a voice becoming part of our identity. Like, like voice is so important now that it's, you know, it's on the same kind of level of like your social security number. Like if someone had my voice, that's almost more powerful than having my social security number because of everything you could author with voice. So I think that story, super scary, super real. Technology providers need to like really firm up, you know, who whose hands we're putting this technology in. And then on the consumer side, we need to be more mindful of how we're releasing kind of our own voice footage, I think. No, complete agreement. And, and Phil, I want to ask you the same question. So, you know, your, your response to just simply gazing upon what's happening here with this story. Yeah, look, it, it, frightening is the right word. Um, I could, I'll give an example of... Um, of how uncontrolled this has been. So uh, three or four years ago, maybe, actually maybe five years ago, I was on a, an expert panel at uh, the Interspeech conference. And <clears throat> one of the other guests was Kate Mill from Ex Toshiba and currently with Cambridge University. And she told a story about in the 90s, um, 
participating in a speech data collection where she signed permission because there were people were working on it was early days of recognition and uh, you know, it was a small data collection, a few hundred people. She contributed to that and signed permission slip that said, yeah, I give, your, I give permission for this to be used for tech, voice technology. Move forward 20 years and somebody comes to her and says, hey, this is really cool. Look, I've created a synthesizer of your voice from that data that you donated in 1995. Um, and you know, she, at that time, had never imagined that the uh, speech technology that she was, was going to be contributing to would be advanced to the stage where small footprint, tiny footprint um, speech synthesis would be um, that accurate and that possible. And um, so it really highlighted that um, often permission that you're giving is you're giving permission ahead of advances in technology. And so um, yeah, that creates issues for the longevity of data and you know, for, for your, the idea that you e even have informed consent at the time that you give permission. So, so yeah, that's, that, that aspect of it is pretty frightening. Um, I also, I, this is likely to be um, likely to be that small footprint synthesis, and it's it's likely to be flawed to some extent. It's not going to be a super cool um, synthesis, but enough to scam with. But yeah, I am certainly very concerned by um, the deep fake possibilities where people have deeper pockets, greater access to very very large volumes of data. So if you you know if you want to um, if you want to do a deep fake of um, a national leader, a president, or something like that, the volume of data that you can get access to through news channels is virtually unlimited, and so the quality of that can be that much higher. And yeah, and I, I, as Lauren said up front, it's it's a shame that this should taint the technology when we actually have terrific benefits coming from the technology. Uh, and I'm not really sure how we, um, how we address that. I and mean, clearly Veritone has taken this seriously and has looked at ways to build in as much protection as possible. Um, but it, it's, it is quite a frightening development. And I'm sure that it will have some negative impact on uh, Uptake of um, uptake of technology uh, and of beneficial participation in the technology. So I, I know there are other stories that we're looking at today, which will tie into this, where people have to make a choice and a trade-off between how well the technology is going to work for them and how much they want to trust the uh, developers of the technology. There's a uh, there was another story that I had read, um, not for this show, but uh, and I don't even remember. It was like a week or two ago, and there's a word for this, but I don't remember what what the word is. Basically, there's a there's a, a certain type of scam going on where um, somebody will call, um, you know, your house or or your cell phone. And they'll say that your child is kidnapped and the, they'll demand ransom. 
And they'll do this specifically during the school day. So your child is at school. And so the child is not with you. And, you know, unless, you know, nobody's verifying where their child is all the time at school. So who's to say where they are? You know, they'll make 100, 200 calls and they'll, you know, knowing that most people will call them, call them out and, and not believe them or not pay or whatever. But, you know, if they make 100 calls, they'll get that one person to pay five to 10 grand or whatever the ransom is. And uh, that's a whole scam. And they'll sometimes they'll use synthetic voice with that. And sometimes they don't. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I think y'all's comments on this are really good. And, I, you know, I don't know. Regulation, you know, you hate to admit that that probably has to be part of the equation, uh, but it probably does. Um, but the other part of the equation is just the technology providers like y'all and many other companies working on this. Um at minimum being cognizant of how some some of the more nefarious ways the technology is being used, uh, you know, and being current on those. Any any closing thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I know it's, it's truly sad because this does kind of put a, a cloud on the technology advancements, like um, Phil said. I think this is just another one of those kind of phishing scams, you know, that consumers will slowly start to catch on to and be kind of more cognizant of like all of the email phishing scams that, you know, kind of we're used to seeing now where we're, we're smart, we're inspecting an email, where did this come from? Do I know the sender? What is it asking me? So unfortunately, that's kind of like a learned behavior we need to have as a mindset for consumers. And then on the technology side, um, yeah, we are, we're trying to enforce a bunch of uh, deep fake uh, detection software as well on the, on the other side of it. So um, everything that's created through our system does get stamped with an inaudible watermark um, so that if you were a voice talent, you came to me and you said, hey, I don't remember creating this clip. Where did it come from? We could actually look at the clip itself, detect that inaudible watermark and tell you exactly the user who created the clip, the timestamp of the clip, what project it was part of. So, you know, as a technology provider, we are trying to put as much kind of traceability into these technologies as we can um, so that, you know, we do have a little bit of protection in place for the talent who is willing to give this a shot. Yeah, uh, I, um, I think that's great to hear that there are technologies being developed and that people are trying to stay ahead of the curve on uh, the scams. And, and I'd certainly agree with Lauren that um, every time there's an emerging scam type, um, there becomes a community awareness of that. So the, the uh, early adopters, if you like, for the, um, for the scam, um, they may get away with things, but people very quickly become aware of the nature of the scams and they... Uh, yeah, this, the human scam detection um, metrics are quite powerful. So yeah, ho hopefully this isn't, a, this isn't going to be something that gets in the way of um, the progress of the technology because clearly the benefits outweigh the uh, negatives. Oh, I'm sure it will. But uh, hopefully, we, <laughs> uh, hopefully uh, you know, I, I guess there's just got to be something that tells you, you know, hey, this, this 
maybe it's on your phone or your handset or saying, Hey, we don't think this is legit, you know, somehow, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Interesting place to start. I'm going to move on to story number two here. And this is from fortune. Amazon's Alexa is becoming a member of the family. So this is kind of a, that's a nice PR piece here um, about Alexa. And it, it sort of uh, discusses um, the relationship that people had with Alexa really leading into the pandemic during the pandemic and um, not a lot of surprising information in this article for people uh, familiar with the show or, or thinking about the space. But what I really want to do with this, and Lauren, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start with Phil and I'll go to you second on this. Um, Phil, I want to use this article as sort of a Alexa heat check. We got two really interesting independent companies uh, as guests on the show. When you hear Alexa, when you think about Alexa, when you see an article like this, what is the state of the Alexa ecosystem in your mind here in 2022? Well, the state of the Alexa ecosystem, I, I think, um, well, they're clearly market leaders. They're, they're very, very strong in this space. Um, and I think you know, Rohit's proposal to really push that personalization to the next level is, is right on target. I mean, it's, it's the personalization is the way to make the tools more powerful. Um, and I, I love, I'm, I, I know Rohit personally, um, we, we worked on some fairly big US government projects before he moved to Amazon and, um, and in Jeff Bezos's, uh, one of Jeff Bezos's recent books, he does name check app and the company that I've worked for um, and our role in actually getting Alexa off the ground. So we did a, a massive amount of work on making it possible so going into homes and, and doing that kind of work. Um, I think that he's, you know, Rohit's had a very strong vision for this from the word go. But I do think it's, um, it's worth considering how this sits in the context of the previous article where um, personalization depends on it's a trade-off. So to get that really high degree of personalization, you also have to relinquish um, a certain amount of control and put more of yourself into the system. And uh, I, I do wonder whether that's going to, um, whether concerns around security are going to continue to be um, a pressure that, um, that limits the scale to which um, Alexa and other ecosystems of this type can reach their full potential. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the question is, you know, what direction, it's hard to tell what direction, you know, they cover so much surface area. Some parts of the organization are moving one way, other parts of the organization are moving another, and it's sort of hard sometimes to sort of net it out. And so that's why I'll, on, on this show, on occasion, I'll ask, you know, for articles like this to be an opportunity to just sort of say what somebody thinks when they look at Alexa. And Lauren, I'm going to ask you the same exact question. Um, when you look at this article, 
when you, uh, you know, through your baritone eyes, look at uh, the Alexa ecosystem, what do you see? Yeah, well, really exciting topic. I think that this, how this is different from the previous conversation is we're kind of switching gears from purely voice to now talking about a brain. So, you know, Alexa really started with kind of these transactional requests, like fetch me this, get me that, tell me this, um, where I think people are more comfortable now with Alexa being in their homes and they kind of want more of this uh, kind of conversational AI to happen instead of, you know, everybody's frustrated. You ask Alexa a question, she gives you an answer. You ask a follow-up question and the conversation stops there. I think consumers are ready for that conversation to continue. And mm -hmm. um, they do want, you know, like multi-level conversations to happen with Alexa. I think um, you know, in the article as well, that was reflected with the Alexa developers and the product managers saying, you know, the infrastructure is here, the time is now, we're ready to go. We just need more help building that conversational AI brain of Alexa because they're tapping into public domains for, you know, basic knowledge like geography and history and things like that. So Alexa is pretty smart at factual information, but they need help from brands that have relationships with consumers to teach them how consumers want to engage with mm -hmm. the brand via a smart speaker skill. Um, you know, I think brands are also realizing now that smart speaker skills, skills aren't really like trinkets anymore. It's actually a way to consistently like engage with your audience and your consumers and also um, you know, across all of the channels they interact with your brand on like a website or social, you should have a presence on the Alexa marketplace as well. And I think from the Amazon developers perspective, that's what they're saying too, is that we've made this marketplace, we've made this technology available, bring us your insights so that we can build a skill that can have a conversation with your audience. You know, it's, we're using voice now kind of as, as that remote that we would typically have gone to Google, typed in a website, gone to the brand's website, read, read what we wanted to do, um, how we wanted to, we chose how we wanted to engage with the brand. But I think now we want to use our voices to kind of control those relationships that we're having. And we're able to do that through the Alexa marketplace. I think brands kind of need to um, realize that they need to have a, a a footprint in this marketplace and they need to provide kind of that context and that brain power and that, you know, domain of knowledge to Alexa so that the Amazon developers can kind of focus on building that kind of conversational AI aspect. And it's, it's a lot of work, like, um, you know, but the opportunity to kind of have your brand affinity and have, you know, build that relationship with a brand via an, an, a smart speaker skill is like so important and so massive. Um, but you have to, you know, think of who the persona is on that application, what their user journeys are going to be on that application, what challenges or pain points does your audience have that a voice skill or an, you know, an assistant could help solve like, what are the internal and external kind of landscape research on people engaging with your brand? Like what hypothesis do you have that we could test through smart speaker and then, you know, iterate on. So I think 
Um, from the, the technology perspective, they've built an amazing platform and it is ready to take you know, conversational AI to the next level, but it does need the help of you know, the brand and the folks that bring the relationship with the consumers to make the technology more smart so that you know, it's thinking about user behavior and user journeys and then routing conversations appropriately. <clears throat> no, that's great. And uh, it's interesting to hear both of y'all just sort of talk <clears throat> about the ecosystem. And like I said, it's, it's a good opportunity to, uh, uh, to heat check the Alexa ecosystem. And what I'm hearing from both of y'all is, hey, still strong, still, still, at the, still the thousand pound gorilla. All right. No, yeah, that's good. Absolutely. Um, perfect. We will move on to story number three, and this is an interesting one. It's from payments.com. Restaurants leverage conversational AI to automate order taking. So uh, this is, um, to me, a, um, a sign of where we're going, <clears throat> where already... Um, we were seeing prior to the pandemic voice and AI sort of filtering its way into different industries, some at a gradual pace, uh, others at a little bit more accelerated pace, but still sort of meandering on in, you know, and then the pandemic hits and now there's industries that just the urgency is cranked way up. And, uh, and we're seeing real um, purposeful movement uh, quickly. And, you know, Lauren, I'll start with you on this and Phil, uh, go to you second. You know, with restaurants, um, already there was some movement this direction prior to the pandemic. There was experimentation. There was acquisition here or there. There was some stuff going on. And now that we've been through this global uh, crisis together and now we can't get labor to show up on time. Uh, we, you know, we have trouble filling open job recs up and down every organization, much less uh, hospitality uh, and restaurant type of businesses. Um, now the door is blown wide open, uh, which leads us to this article. I want to get your thoughts. What do you think uh, when you, when you took a look at this? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, we've seen kind of this innovation change and behavior change and mindset change with the pandemic and a lot of systems and services going remote. So, you know, people are more comfortable like buying groceries online and, um, you know, that initial hesitancy we really worked through over these past couple years. Um, so retail, I think, is like the perfect place for, for voice AI because these experiences are like typically funnels that people get stuck in. Um, so if there's like a prompt, like guiding you along the way, I think people will have a much better experience with what they're trying to get from the retail provider as well. Like if you think of like, you know, beyond just, you know, food ordering, like what about insurance onboarding or, you know, buying something from a store, like all of these kind of experiences can be more guided um, and then I think on the, the workforce piece, 
I also don't think it takes away jobs from restaurant workers, but it actually creates more jobs for them because now there's a layer of humans that kind of have to review these text to voice orders and work with the staff to get them prepped and um, you know made and delivered. And so technology is really taking kind of the mundane piece out of the human's job so that that human can be more valuable so that when you do place an order through text to voice and you pull up and you, you know, you're at the drive-through window or you arrive in person, there is still that human there that's providing exceptional customer service to you. So, you know, end to end, the funnel is easier for you to interact with. There's prompts that guide you to complete whatever you need to complete. When the time is right for you to show up and pick up your order, there's still a human there kind of tying the knot on a great customer service experience, but there's also new jobs being created between all of those uh, kind of touch points happening to QC technology, build the technology. Um, and so I think it's, it's not replacing jobs, it's actually creating more of them and it's making the human at the end of the loop more valuable when they do have kind of that face-to-face -face interaction. So even, I think we're humanizing the business, even if humans aren't like front and center we're still creating experiences that are more engaging and more efficient. And then, you know, we have the cherry on the top human at the end that, you know, thanks you, gives you your orders there with a smile type of a, a, a life cycle. That's an interesting point of view. Um, I think I mostly agree with that. Uh, I, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, I appreciate that. And Phil, I wanna ask you the same question. Um, Conversational AI is impacting everything, especially in, especially in including restaurants. What do you think when you saw the peaks? Yeah, well, uh, my my initial reaction <clears throat> was probably one of, who would have thought that um, that it would the problem would be that we couldn't fill the roles? You know, who would have thought that that was going to become the problem? Um, because I, I certainly the story that Lauren's telling um, about. Okay, the increased humanization, the um, shifting of humans into more meaningful work and away from less mundane tasks. That's a story that is not unfamiliar. We've heard this over the last few years. Um, if I'm honest, I've always been a bit skeptical of that story, but here it is coming to life. And it turns out that it's uh, not so far off the mark. I mean, it's right now. Um, you can't find enough labor to do the jobs and there are great opportunities to leverage the technology. And uh, I'm reading this article, the other part of my reaction was, okay, the two pieces of great news in there. So one piece of news is that the technology is at a place where um, commercial organizations that are well and truly outside of the domain that we're all working in have a high enough level of confidence to put their trust in the technologies that we're all developing. So that, that's, that's a very encouraging sign that, um, that there is acceptance on the part of the commercial entities that we engage with. And then the second reaction is that the, those companies would only have that confidence if they also felt that the consumers, the end consumers, were equally confident about the technology. 
And, uh, you know, so this is, they're, they're doing a rollout in uh, 50 outlets. That's not a, an insubstantial rollout. That tells me that they've probably done quite a lot of background proof of concept work. They've managed to, they've confirmed that they don't have problems with near homophones and things like that, and that, that this will actually work for the application and the menu that they're dealing with. And, um, you know, that they've got enough confidence to roll down to 50 stores. And uh, from there, you know, you'd expect that uh, this is something that's going to end up in, I can't remember the numbers, was 2,000 stores that they had, something like that. So I, 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 I read this and, uh, yeah, I was filled with joy. This, is, this suggests to me that uh, the work we've been doing over the last 20, 25 years is really maturing, coming to market in a in a big way that you could still have been sceptical about 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was very, very interesting. Well, that's great. And it's interesting just to hear y'all's different, different takes on it. And, you know, uh, Lauren, I, I think that uh, the idea of... Um, technology freeing people to better uses for themselves um, is uh, you hope that's the case uh, because ultimately it's going to happen anyway. Um, you know, the, the uh, elevator operators might've been upset at uh, not being elevator operators anymore, but uh, you know, ultimately they went on and found other things to do. And I think here um, that just this idea that uh you know, we knew this was coming. I mean, the people who worked in the space knew this was coming, where the technology at some point in time would get good enough to supplant jobs. Well, as it turned out, it came about at approximately the same time where people said, you know what, you know what you can do with that job? Uh, I'm out of here. So <laughs> um, interesting how the world works. And, uh, and Phil, I agree with your point as well, just about um, how... Uh, in many ways, this is gratification for everybody working on this stuff, <clears throat> that uh, these businesses where the entire sum total of the business is taking an order from one human being to another, um, you know, and then fulfilling it, uh, you know, verbally, the person drives up, they say some stuff, they pull around and then they get something handed to them and you hope it's the right thing. Um, if this works here, then it probably ought to work anywhere. So you feel pretty good about that. That's yep. great. Comments. Yeah, great all the way around. I'm going to go on to our final story here, which is kind of an interesting one. This is from the New York Post, <clears throat> uh, and it's also from a couple of months ago. Usually we uh, keep all the stories current, but this one, I just I guess I just missed this or didn't see it or whatever. It felt like including it. Your iPhone has 10 Harry Potter spells that really work with Siri. And so I have an Android phone. Um, so I don't have a, uh, an iPhone at the moment. I'm thinking about switching back. Don't tell Apple. Um, and, uh, but, um, you got my wife's iPhone. I said, Hey, I got to try something. And she's like, saw me trying out one of these Harry Potter spells and thought I lost my mind more than usual, but they, they work. I tried the one to turn on the lights and, uh, turn on, you know, the, the, and it turned on the flashlight. I was like, wow. Okay. So um, I think there's something cool about that. A good story to end with. And, and Phil, I'll start with you and then Lauren, go to you. Um, it feels like um, 
if this story to me feels a little bit bigger than it is like it, the idea of having hidden language hidden functionality um secret features um extra stuff lurking underneath the surface of the subdermal layer of voice assistance and conversational ai there's something there's something um Mag magnetizing about that there's something cool about it do you agree or think i'm uh just uh in crazy well yeah i i agree with you to some extent uh yeah i think it's pretty exciting i, I love the idea um i'm not sure if it's already in place but i'd imagine that um the, the hardcore trekkies out there are going to want to be able to speak to their phone and get the same kind of functionality and cling on, and they're going to feel like they're an underserved community unless they get that. So I think, uh, yeah, I think people are going to really quite enjoy those cool features. And, and given that that speech is something that you do publicly, um, you know, there's, there's a demonstrative bit of showbiz about that, you know, like people will quite enjoy speaking to their phone in another language or speaking to their phone in, um, you know, using, using Harry Potter spells. There's something very, very, very cool at that about that. But I also, um, you know, I wonder, and I don't want to place you guys in my age bracket, but I wonder if there's something about um, yeah, my age bracket that makes me susceptible to thinking, oh, wow, isn't this cool? Isn't this exciting? Because um, I, I didn't test drive this on my phone, but I asked uh, Jody, our head of marketing, to put it in front of her teenage daughter. And um, if you want to find the unfiltered truth on something, you know, a teenage is a great place to go. So she, she asked her teenage daughter to test drive these uh, spells which she did, and uh, the, her daughter's reaction was, wow, that is so, like, slow. <laughs> it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, her reaction wasn't, that's so cool. She just, she just noticed that the technology wasn't really as fast as she was, would like it to be. So, you know, um, you put it in front of a teenager, they, they, um, they take it for granted that that's going to work. You know, why wouldn't Harry Potter spells work? But uh, they just like, yeah, the, yeah, that's that's really cool. The technology's not quite up to scratch, though. So, um, well, it's a shame that uh, you can't wave a Harry Potter wand and fix the last seven years of Apple uh, negligence to the Siri platform, but uh, they haven't come up with a spell for that just yet. Um, but, <laughs> well, well, I'm not going to say that out loud, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. You, you let me say it. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's perfectly fine <laughs> in my usual role. But uh, Lauren, I want to ask you the same thing. Uh, coolness. You, you think this is cool or you think this is sort of uh, whatever? Or what, what are your thoughts when you saw this? Sure, sure. I am a little bit biased because as a kid, I was the one who had to be at Barnes & Noble at midnight when the new book came out to have it and read it in a day. So um, uh, I am probably this target audience. So for me, um, I think it was smart of them to kind of tap into this like nostalgicness that this entire generation feels for, you know, this particular world. Um, to your point about, is this something bigger? I think, yes, I think, um, leveraging these types of like hardcore communities like you know to your point 
feel like the Trekkies or like, you know, Harry Potter fans or whatever it is, is kind of a bigger picture, like this building of worlds, you know, this kind of idea, I think we're seeing a lot of now, especially, um, you know, in, in bringing some sort of like tech feature to like a, a real, in like, like techies are real, they're a real group of people leveraging technology to kind of bring them into like your system or be an iPhone person or, you know, be an Android person is really smart. I think we're going to see more of this connection to tech and particular worlds a lot in the future with the metaverse, just in the fact like, you know, Disney's building their own metaverse and what it means to like have a metaverse is really like having a world that people can come to and interact with and find these cool little Easter eggs. Like you mentioned, like the Siri Lumos spell, like that's just one tiny Easter egg that draws me into kind of a bigger world that they might be building for you know, metaverses and things in the future. So I think it's smart for them to tap into kind of, you know, Harry Potter that has such like a brand affinity. They could do that with any brand um, that has like a really strong audience tie-in connection. But I think it is like a preview of what's to come in the metaverse space where, you know, it's like, cool, you like that spell, come engage with Harry Potter via this Apple world that we're, we're building where, you know, I can actually transport myself there using, you know, my avatar, I can create my synthetic voice so that if I'm speaking to you in this hypothetical world, you're actually hearing me or seeing me, I'm there, even though not physically, I think it's, um, it is bigger than just these cool Easter eggs that we found in the app. I think um, it's a sign of worlds to come. And you know, technology providers tapping into kind of this brand affinity to, you know, entice people to come there. I think that's right on. I think uh, the, the, the tie back to the metaverse uh, is, is right on the money, you know, and you could see this playing out in those ecosystems really well because, you know, the, the introduction of this particular vernacular and, uh, you know, uh, jargon uh, related to a specific yes. universe or set of characters or whatever it just it makes you feel a sense of belonging um, and it makes you feel like uh, you know the construction of this entire experience was purposeful um, you know and, and intentional and uh, when so many things with Siri have not been purposeful and not been intentional you know, seeing this story, I, I have to admit, like, I, I feel, uh, I mean, this, this story with this particular, you know, fairly insignificant addition um, is probably worth 10 new, fe <clears throat> new features to Siri done by a legion of product team people um you know the they get a lot of bang for the buck with this sort of thing and uh that's what i think is kind of interesting about it it just um you know it's something something a little bit something a little bit deeper and i think y'all hit on it uh, both of you with with your comments so i appreciate that look this is great uh thanks to both of you for being part of this week in voice as always appreciate you taking the time to share your experience and expertise with not just me but the audience as well Thanks, Bradley. It was great to take part and great to meet you both. 
Likewise, thank you so much for having me. I'm jealous of your art collection that you have behind you, Phil. It's been oh. lovely to look at. <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> thanks, thanks to both of you. So for this week in Voice, Season 6, Episode 10, thank you for listening, watching if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.